Hello there, and welcome to Potshot, Arsenal Women's Edition. I'm your host, Will. Listener, I know what you're thinking. A whole new side of the club, a new host, that's a big change. And change can be disconcerting, which is why I'm not alone. I have with me the comforting presence and mellifluous tones of Sebastian Hund. Seb, how are you doing? I'm even better after that intro. That's the nicest thing anyone on Hotshot has ever said about me. <laughs> <laughs> I've set I've set a high standard for hyping you up. And now every podcast we do, I'm going to have to do like <laughs> a little bit more hype than the previous one each time now. Um, but yes, here we are. This is our first Arsenal Women's Podcast. Um, as you can probably guess, listener, this is a podcast about Arsenal women. We're going to be doing these regularly throughout the season. At this point, we are going to be talking about the first two games of the domestic season, the uh, loss at home to Liverpool, and then the draw away to Manchester United. It's very exciting. We're looking forward to we're looking forward to doing these, aren't we, Seb? Very much so. Yeah. Nice. Okay, so. As I mentioned, uh, Arsenal lost their opening game of the season at home to Liverpool at the Emirates Stadium. They lost 1-0 before travelling away to Manchester United, where they drew 2-2. One of the interesting tactical points, probably the most interesting tactical point from the first two games of the season, is the formations we played uh, under Jonas Eideval. Arsenal's kind of primary formation, if you want to use that term, or the formation they use most often is like a 4-2-3-1. At times last season, it was more like kind of a 3-4-3 with like kind of wide tens playing off a a single centre forward generally. Uh, Mostly that felt like it was down to injuries rather than being the manager's kind of preference. Um, But in both games this season, we've seen uh, a three at the back system. Against Liverpool, it felt like it was maybe again enforced by injuries. Arsenal didn't have any any fit right backs. But against Manchester United, Arsenal did have a fit right back, but they still played what was kind of a a back three system. Uh, So I guess... If we focus kind of specifically on the United game, because that's the more interesting one, what did you make of how Arsenal approached this game, how how Eideval set the team up? Yeah, I, I think you already mentioned there's two different reasons for using the back three in the different games. Uh, the Liverpool game, 100% injuries, and probably considering we didn't have a right back, to simply go into a in-possession shape from the get-go, so we put two ostensibly wingers, even though McCabe's a fullback that can play on the wing, um, in the wide channels, three central defenders, and basically played 3-2-5 the entire way through. That did cause issues, uh, especially in build-up against Liverpool, uh, considering when we do play with the three, we like to build out in a four in deep build-up, uh, which meant that uh, Catley was going to be uh, on the left side of uh, central defence, uh, the two central defenders, and then uh, in the Liverpool game, it turned out to be either Lacasse dropping or uh, Marnham dropping in to create a sort of uh, fourth person there. Both of them not really necessarily 
comfortable receiving in those areas, and that did cause us a bit of issues, uh, especially after Liverpool's. Um, they changed their formation a bit. They went four three three, I think. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, to focus on the the United game specifically, uh, that one was definitely game related. I think um, the the game plan was one of the most vertical ones I've seen in recent times from us. Um, and a lot of the the personnel decisions were based around trying to maximize that. Um, we did press high in a lot of s- situations, especially in their deep build-up, before then dropping back into sort of 5-2-3 block, which is really quite effective, uh, especially against teams that try to build out flat with one pivot, which then can be uh, tracked by the, the central striker and so on. Um and then a lot of other decisions uh, were also made to to sort of maximize that game plan that we'll probably come on to. Yeah, um, I mean, I think in the in the United game, there were there were kind of a a couple of things that really that really stuck out. So there were six changes in total from the the lineup for the Liverpool game. Um, so one of them was Sabrina D'Angelo in goal, who we will definitely be coming back to. Um, <clears throat> we played a back three of Amanda Illestet, uh, Jen Beatty in the middle, and then Laia Cordina on the left, and she played her first game for Arsenal. Um, and then we had a right back, so Noel Moritz played as the right wing back, uh, Steph Catley as the left wing back, and then... In the attacking five, it was I think there were a couple of a couple of changes that were maybe unexpected. So Stina Blackstenius started up front. Um, the two kind of wide tens, if you want to use that term, Alessia Russo was on the right, and Kim Little was on the left. And then the midfield pairing was Leah Velti and uh, Victoria Polova. Probably the the big surprise was that. Most people would have expected Victoria Pullover to play out wide and Kim Little to partner Leah Velti because Kim Little and Leah Velti just always partner each other. Um, so that that I think that was quite a big surprise. That's not pe- what people would have expected to see from the team sheet. Um, I guess why do you think why do you think Idavel made that decision uh, and how do you think it worked? Yeah, out of the six changes, that's the one I can make the least sense of uh, at the even in hindsight. My working theory at the time was to have a more physical body uh, in midfield uh, to put Pullover there. But even then, I'm not quite sure if if that worked out the way it did. Um, we did use uh, the, the left-hand side of our team a lot in the first half. And perhaps there was something uh, specific Little was tasked with. I, I couldn't have made it out. Uh, to be honest, but well, what what was your working theory there? Yeah, I mean, what <laughs> I like that I like that you just shot the uh, shot the question back to me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I was trying to figure it out too. I mean, and it was kind of there was kind of an asymmetry mm-hmm. between the role that Little played and the role that Russo played. So Russo was like quite often uh, was like quite wide and quite deep, especially like out of possession. Whereas uh, Kim Little tended to be narrower. And certainly when we didn't have the ball, she tended to like push up more 
uh, and join Steena up front. Uh, and then the flip side as well is that when we had possession, this kind of fits the profiles they have anyway, but Steph Catley got forward a lot more on the left than Noel Moritz did on the right. That makes sense because Catley is, uh, has a phenomenal delivery. Uh, and that also kind of made sense as to why you didn't need Kim going out so wide because Catley was almost like, uh, like playing like a winger at times. Um, but yeah, like you, I, I assumed there was kind of a really specific reason as to why he wanted Kim Little to play that role, which we, it's not really kind of the way we've seen Idaval use her for, for most of his time at the club. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why he did. On, on Pullover, yeah, that, that's also quite interesting because it's just, it's tricky. So, I mean, you know, there are two questions. One is kind of what did he want Kim to do? And then the other is kind of was it something that Pullova couldn't do or was Pullova tasked with doing something in midfield yeah. that Kim Little couldn't do? And I think that's the thing that's quite tricky because it, it probably felt like they could both do the thing that the other person was being asked to do. Yeah, I agree. It, it, I mean, it, you know, it's interesting because Arsenal obviously have a very deep squad uh or i mean when everyone's back from injury the squad will be very deep uh and it will it will be it will be interesting to keep an eye on that uh especially especially with Pullover, who's kind of like feels kind of like a player who's played in a few different positions since she's come to arsenal but uh with last season being so kind of ravaged by injuries uh the second half of the season she kind of just played wherever she fit and wherever like other players fit around her. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see whether she plays regularly as kind of one of the sixes like that. Uh, yeah, I think her, her uh, qualities lend themselves to being uh, in deeper midfield, not quite as a sitting six, but more so as a more progressive six that can, can carry themselves upfield in possession. She wasn't really doing six things. She was sort of pushing on and Russo was getting into uh more striker and more offensive uh, positions while she was sort of on the same level as Kim uh, in possession. But yeah, with her physicality and her ability to drive with the ball and then create things in the final third, she does lend herself to be uh, to be good in, in deeper areas rather than just playing on the wing. Um, I- I'd like to see it, yeah. Yeah, and, and I touched on it earlier, but obviously we have to talk about um, Sabrina D'Angelo because really um, both of Manchester United's goals came from uh, goalkeeper errors. Obviously, uh, Manu Zinsberger played against Liverpool. Liverpool. Uh, <laughs> Sabrina came in for this game, uh, and it wasn't a great game, but there's that, uh, there's that kind of thing of having two goalkeepers, and both are kind of seen as good goalkeepers, and there's there's this obviously it's not it's not new to arsenal women because joe montemuro did the same thing where he kind of swapped between goalkeepers depending on what he wanted a goalkeeper to do mostly in possession uh and we've got kind of the same thing here i guess like how do you feel about that approach in general a lot of people have strong opinions about whether coaches should or shouldn't do that uh and like a lot of people will have kind of looked at this game and been like well that's why you shouldn't do it uh what what do you think I, I, firstly, I found it really funny that uh, 
considering it's a really similar situation to the men's team that uh, Jonas came out in his press conference and basically used the Arteta rhetoric of, hmm, maybe <laughs> I'll change the goalkeeper in-game. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the dreaded goalkeeper substitute we probably will never see. Um, <laughs> I haven't quite made my mind up yet on if I think this is a good thing or not. Um, I do see the logic more so than in the men's team, but... That, that's besides the point, considering both are relatively different in their approaches. And uh, to talk about why D'Angelo played this one, I, th- I think it's worth touching on the overall game plan we use against uh, United generally. Because uh, as I mentioned, our intention in possession was to to be really direct and to overload their left-hand side to take advantage of, of weaknesses there, uh, which meant Stina came in as a channel runner on that side usually playing in between their right back and right center back exploiting gaps there um and the general thing was was really direct winning second balls and so on so that lended itself to d'angelo playing who has a far better uh long kicking accuracy or just a better technique in in kicking long than than zinsberger is who usually plays when when we're superior in games and and build out slowly um so there's a few differences within their game plans obviously uh d'angelo didn't help her case with with a pretty bad bozo moment um arsenal keepers seem to to have a internal game on one-upping themselves in that department at the moment across genders um but it did make sense to keep her uh, to, to put her in for this game um It'll be interesting to see how, how we do that going forward and how often we see the, the extremeness to which we played directly in this game. And in those games, we'll probably see D'Angelo more. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, it's I guess it's one of a number of things, like we like we spoke about Pullover. It's one of a number of things that will be interesting to to keep an eye on during the, during the season. Um we should also touch on uh, Alessia Russo, who is kind of the, the central figure in this match in a lot of ways. Uh, the Arsenal fans were chanting her name for basically the whole game, and there were very loud boos whenever she, whenever <laughs> she got on the ball. Um, as I mentioned uh, when I did the lineup, she she kind of she played uh, off of Stina Blackstenia. She played kind of quite wide in the first half, but she became a more central figure, both uh, literally and, well, literally in a different way <laughs> uh, in, <laughs> in the second half. What did you make of her performance? Yeah, it's a tale of two halves because the protagonist in the first half was definitely Stina, um, who showed her qualities so perfectly in the goal, I thought. Uh, the, the way she, she took that long ball brought her defender off, created separation, channel running, created that space, ran into it and scored herself. Pretty much the the embodiment of a Stina Blackstenius goal. Consequential of that and the fact our game plan generally was more suited to the left-hand side where we did most of our attacking. Uh, Russo was pretty isolated in the first half, not really involved all that much um, until minute 60 where we did the triple substitution we brought on McCabe for Laia Kudina who you could really tell uh, played her first game in a few months 
uh, not a fault of her own, but something that definitely showed up in in the game. Uh, Frida Monum came on for Victoria Pulova, which meant um, Kim Little was back to uh, her deep midfield role, where she also improved massively, got more involved in the game, and did Kim Little things, whereas before she was a body moving people around to to open spaces for other people to to run in. Uh, and Caitlin Ford came on for for Stina, so that meant. Um, we we went back to Monum on the right hand side of the front three, Ford on the left hand side, and uh, Russo up top. <laughs> God, it's late. <laughs> yes. Uh, um, and and once she moved centrally, you could re- her full skill set was on show, and she put on a fucking classic at cent- uh, at center forward play, draw drew fouls where she possible, held the ball up created connection with the people behind her went on and had a few good really good chances to score herself those would probably be leveraged against her um but but the way she created some of those chances especially the one that hit the post which she basically manufactured herself shows just how good and complete she is as a forward yes it was um it was it was just a really impressive performance from her once she was once she was central it was a really just like a complete forwards kind of performance and it that was just like a i think i said to someone like yeah this is the player we signed this is this is it <laughs> this is alessia russo uh and it's yeah it was very encouraging obviously it would have been great if that like you said that chance that she kind of just made for herself uh that hit the woodwork it would have been it would have been just amazing if that that went in uh, just from like a, a narrative what point it, of view. Yeah, that that was perfect hashtag narrative there. <laughs> yes, um, I mean we 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 did equalize, uh, and that was a pretty good that was a pretty good finish too. The the goal from Chloe Lacasse. Uh, yeah, we can on. talk about that a bit because that was another tactical change we made towards the end. Yes. Um, the the game really had its phases. Like for the first. 30 minutes ish we really controlled them didn't give them much space in their build-up pressed them when they were susceptible to with their with the triggers we had uh created chances created goals that way once um d'angelo did what she did in the first half um basically flapping through a ball uh they came back on top of us they really re-pressured us into into some really bad giveaways um, which carried on into the second half where we didn't really look fluid uh, in the first 15. The subs definitely helped that, um, and we created a f- fair few chances that way. Uh, but I think really once uh, Lacasse came on and we switched to the, to the four, we were really, really fluid in our attacking play and were a lot more able to create uh, than we were before. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's uh, obviously something we, we kind of briefly touched on earlier, but it's just there's a real there's a real depth. And when Viv and Beth are back from their <laughs> injuries, there will be <laughs> there, there will be uh, an overabundance of, of attacking attacking quality. Not to mention uh, the attacking dynamism we create once the best player in the team is back. In, in yes. April, perhaps when Laura Vinoiter <laughs> is 
is back on the pitch, that would be that would be it. Would be unstoppable. Um, that would be Will's moment of the season. I'm I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's been <clears throat> it's been obviously a kind of a a funny start to the season, and by funny I mean not great because uh, we were knocked out of the Champions League qualifiers, and you know there there are external things that that can be put down to, and that's that's like a whole other podcast episode on its own. Um, it, it is worth mentioning that to, at, in the night of recording, Paris FC also drew three three with Wolfsburg. Yes. Uh, so yes, that's true. That they're actually quite good. <laughs> yes. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, fo- following that on from uh, losing at home to Liverpool, which is obviously a very disappointing result, uh, and then drawing away to United, which isn't the worst result, especially you know when you're losing and then you score an equaliser late on. It's fun, uh, but it's been, I guess, what what are your what are your general feelings on the, uh, the start to the season so far? I think the, the endorphins of that last moment against United papers over some of the frustrations we've had in the start of the season. Um, I think a big topic has been not really being able to build up uh, coherently in deep build up quite yet, which then leads to a lack of attacking dynamism once we get into the final third that was pretty visible against Liverpool. We circumvented the issue entirely against United by being a lot more vertical. Um, but it does seem to, to to correlate somewhat with uh, playing a back three. And once we did move to four against United, albeit game state also had its part to play there, uh, we did look a lot more coherent and a lot closer to what we actually are than everything we've seen so far uh, since the the UCL qualifiers. Um, I suppose I, I've, my, my general impression has shifted a bit, uh, largely because seeing Chelsea drop points actually gives, some, gives you a bit of hope that in a league that has 22 games and is incredibly tight and the margin of error is basically nil, uh, Two losses would have been pretty bad. A loss and a draw is still pretty bad. But again, with with Chelsea already dropping points and a lot of direct games, the hope isn't dead yet, but it's probably the worst start Arsenal have had in in quite a while in in WSL competition. Yes. Yeah, it could be. Uh, Disclaimer, listener, that might not be true. We haven't checked. Um, (laughs) But... Uh, I mean, just first made up fact of the episode. <laughs> yes, it probably won't be the last. But um, just just uh, just touching on the Liverpool game because obviously we've spoken mostly about the United game and the Liverpool game's almost two weeks old, so you know there's not that much to touch on. But after the game, Matt Beard was pretty. Uh, the Liverpool manager, Matt Beard, was pretty uh, open about his intention with the way he set up. Uh, and the way Arsenal play is that they often move the ball into midfield and then kind of back and wide or wide. But when they get into the final third, it's often kind of through wide areas. Um, mm-hmm. And he was pretty open about the fact that he just wanted to stop Arsenal kind of moving the ball into midfield and then being able to do anything with it when it was there. Uh, do you think, how much of our problem do you think was because of the 
the back three and the way we set up? Or do you think that could be an ongoing problem, uh, even even if we move back to the, the 4-2-3-1? The back three it was an issue, especially in the Liverpool game, considering we didn't have someone who could drop in those areas when the uh, the wingbacks vacated. Um, and playing Chloe Lucas as one of those wingbacks uh, who's not comfortable in those, in those areas. Um, I think not having uh, Williamson and not having Rafaeli is a big miss simply because of their quality. I mean, that's a, a, a non-statement, basically, because they're so good. Um, and having a lot of changes within the central defensive pairing, playing two different pairings, uh, and not quite having a settled settled duo or trio yet uh, also hasn't helped the matter. I'm not ready to say it's a, it's a systemic issue quite yet. Uh, I'd anticipate seeing how we continue moving forward. My hunch is we'll, we'll uh, go back to 4-2-3-1 once uh, in, the, in the Villa game. Barring, barring Moritz uh, isn't injured. Um, uh, and, and once we're back in our usual shape, um, I'd like to see the new people find their roles there and see how how it evolves there, yeah. Great. Um, well, on those encouraging notes, listener, we're going to take a break and you're going to enjoy this little jingle. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that sweet jazzy jingle, listener. The sweet jazzy jingle. Yes. Um, it's an enjoyable jingle, isn't it? It is. Both sweet and jazzy. It's uh, sweet and jazzy. <laughs> um, oh, so obviously we were, we were speaking about how you feel about the season so far. Um, and it's interesting coming into this season. Uh, this was the final year of Jonas Eideval's contract. And... I've I've kind of detected like feelings on him in the fan base are maybe a little bit mixed. I think that's a gross mis- I, I think that's a gross mischaracterization. If you look at the comment sections of the of the announcement itself, my god. Yeah, no, that's right. Uh, and I'm I'm putting things mildly. Uh, but it you know it it's interesting. Obviously, different people have different opinions on last season and kind of. Some people just kind of write it off as like injuries, whatever. I mean, also Arsenal got to a European semi-final last season, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, but at the same time, the the contract announcement comes like we, like we were speaking about. We're already out of the Champions League. We lost at home to Liverpool in like a pretty kind of dull affair. Uh, and then we drew away to Manchester United. So... It's easy to see how uh, how feelings might be negative. I mean, I, I feel like you and I are probably more positive on Jonas Eideval than other people. Uh, so what are your... Well, how surprised were you firstly by this contract announcement? Because I was quite surprised. Yeah, I was surprised at the timing. Um, it's a very Arsenal thing to do to announce a contract extension after a prolonged series of losses. Yes. Seems like we've done that before. Can't quite remember when. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And I was quite ambivalent about it. I thought there was going to be some sort of evaluation period of how the season is going to progress with a more stable unit of players. Um, 
to sort of contrast that with with the last season where we were really stretched towards the end. Um, but that sort of speaks against my general uh, disposition when it comes to management, and that is if you are satisfied with the methodology a coach has and their general disposition towards the game, and if the players are content with the coach they're having, continuing with them is always going to be a good idea. And if you look at every player, basically, that has played at Arsenal since Jonas came in, they've been really positive about it. That also reflects in pretty much every key player in the squad having been renewed over the last 18 months. Um, So with that, I'm not surprised that we've renewed him. I was kind of surprised that it happened so soon and not December, January time. Uh, But generally, it wasn't that much of a surprise to me. How do you feel about it? Yes, like you, I was very surprised by the timing. Uh, I saw the tweet and I was just like, oh, okay. Didn't expect that today. Um, so I, I agree with you about like the general the general principle um, of what to do with managers and contracts. Uh, and I, like, I, I think it's, it's not unfair to say that with Jonas, like the, the ideas seem right, but we haven't seen the results yet. Uh, and obviously like we were talking about with injuries, people will have like different degrees to which they're willing to like caveat last season's league performance specifically. Um, and it, it's interesting as well. I mean, <clears throat> this is, this isn't particularly tactical, but it's interesting as well. There have been changes on the women's side of the club over the last maybe like year or so, I guess you could say. So for example, uh, Arsenal have, uh, changed the recruitment setup on the women's side of the club, and they've they've increased the recruitment team on that side of the club. Uh, I think it's also it's also not a surprise. Uh, you mentioned like obviously a lot of players have had their contracts renewed, uh, and we've had like a lot of signings and renewals over the past few months. It's not a surprise that like Edu and Richard Garlic are significantly more noticeable in signing photos uh, compared to how they used to be uh and i think i think there was there was kind of a concern concern isn't necessarily the right the right word but i think like if you look at the men's side of the club it's really clear like where decision making happens it happens with like that triumvirate of Mikel Arteta, Edu and Richard Garlic, and like everything kind of radiates out from there. I think on the women's side of the club in the past, I think the way it's been reported is that like Yona side of our reports to uh, Claire Wheatley and she like reports to Richard Garlic, who kind of, we all know, kind of reports to Edu. And like, it's kind of a weird kind of hierarchy where it's not really clear where decisions are being made. Mm-hmm. It feels like at the moment, or sorry, it feels like what has happened is that's kind of been tightened down and things seem more cohesive than they were before. Uh, and I think kind of like the player contract renewals, Jonas Eideval's contract renewal, I think it probably is like part of that wider kind of refocusing on how things are done on the women's side of the club. Uh, and I mean, I think aside from kind of thoughts on Eideval, Specifically, I think that's obviously a positive because I think that's somewhere Arsenal were 
lagging maybe behind other clubs uh, in terms of how things were structured strategically on the women's side of the club. Uh, so I, in that sense, I think Idaval's renewal is is a positive just because it shows progress in in that area. I also think the surprise is slightly dampened by if you if you look at the summer, uh, both in terms of recruitment, which everyone that came in is a Jonas player through and through, um, but also the the restructuring of the backroom staff over the last few months has sort of geared itself towards saying Jonas is going to be here long term. Uh, middle of last season, we brought in the new. Um, set-piece coach, whose name escapes me, who's worked with Jonas before. In the summer, we brought in, what's her name? Uh, Renee Slagers? Yeah. As an assistant coach who came in specifically as Jonas' assistant coach, along with uh, Kelly Smith, who also joined the backroom staff full-time. So the restructuring of the backroom staff with the restructuring of the recruitment department and everything lended itself towards saying this is a long-term project that is going to be made with Jonas as the central part of it as the coach. So it's not a surprise to see it happen. And it's probably the best thing long-term, even though having it after the Liverpool game when sent when general fan sentiment is really low was an interesting decision, but very Arsenal, as I said. Yeah, and and, and also um, another thing as well with Jonas is that and something you and I have spoken about before is that he's made it Jonas FC because he has like uh, a personality and you can kind of see his, his like he's imprinted his image on the team. Uh, and as you say, like, especially with the signings uh, and also, you know, things like the backroom stuff, this season feels like the first real season of Jonas FC. I know that's not like a very encouraging thing to say right now, given how the season started, but it feels like they've renewed his contract because like the next two, three years is the time that that Jonas will start delivering on the ideas that he's been putting in place up until now. I also I also think it's worth mentioning that one, his first season was pretty excellent, especially in, in league performance where we came one point short of City. Uh Chelsea, sorry. The ghost of city is haunting me. Um, performed well in in European competition both times. Uh, only uh, went out by the hands of the best European team alongside Barca and and Lyon uh, over the last ten years. Um, and even the league performance last year wasn't disastrous um, and was painted by mitigating factors towards the end of the season we were in a pretty good position uh slightly before april i'd say uh when when leah got injured and things went from bad to worse but generally the last two years have been have been good in terms of overall results yeah okay so that's the owner side of our contract discussed um we have another game coming up that's against aston villa uh Villa are an interesting team. They haven't had the best start to the season, but they were they were kind of tipped by a lot of people as being the team that that might break into the top. 
I, I, I never know whether to call it a top four, uh, firstly, because in, in the WSL, we don't necessarily, we don't really have like a top four in terms of Europe. And also, I don't know, it's always like a little bit, I don't know if I'd really class like United in the same like category as Chelsea, uh, especially this summer when they've lost some of the best talent. But that's aside from that, aside from that tangent, which was just me disrespecting United. <laughs> um, Always welcome. <laughs> Aston, Aston Villa have been tipped to break into that, break into that kind of European challenging place. Um, so in theory, it could be it could be quite a challenge. Uh, my question here to you, and it's quite a tough one because I don't think we fully understand why we set up the way we did against United. Uh, but my question here to you is, how do you think we will set up against uh, Aston Villa? I do understand relatively why we set up the way we set up against United. Uh, as I talked about that, that was game specific. Um, I think. The the biggest thing we need to do is a fix build up issues we have currently and b create more dynamism in attacking situations, and I do think going back to the four uh, with Moritz being available again is probably the best way of achieving that. Um, we, we have two exceptional wingers we can play on either side. I also think Ford's general influence was a bit damaged by her playing more inside against uh, Liverpool. Um, so having her on on the left and having uh, Chloe Lacasse until Beth Mead is able to play again on the right, uh, first of all, creates attacking dynamism, and second of all, and probably most important of all, especially with the rest of the team, uh, a, creating a stable structure that can be coached and can be can be worked on and improved with familiarity and with with continuity, uh, most importantly, over the next few games. Um, so yeah, that that that's basically where I'm heading. Um, the central back duo will be interesting to see if we see it too. Who who those will be? I'm I'm largely expecting uh, Maritz and probably Catley to start uh, on in fullback positions. But uh, who the centre back pairing will be is up for discussion. Perhaps you have an idea there. Yeah, I mean I know. There, there's kind of a a question of like, is it better to well? I get. I mean, I guess the question is, we want to build up well, and we have some players like Ilistet and Kadina who are obviously good players, but aren't very used to playing in this team. Uh, and like Kadina, especially, still looks fairly rusty. Obviously, she had like a, a busy summer and then a later preseason than everyone else. Whereas Jen Beattie and Lotta Wubamoy obviously know how to play under Jonas Eideval because they've been doing it for years already. Um, and then it's it's a question of like, do you kind of bleed the new players in over time or do you throw them in the deep end, basically? Uh, I, I mean, I, th- I think my preference is, is throw them in the deep end. Uh, and I think I'd probably just like to see Illestet and Kadina start. Um, Because, I mean, they're obviously fairly good players. And I think at home to Aston Villa, we should be able to take that risk, I guess. Yeah, I I think I agree. Especially because Codina is probably the most comfortable playing on the left-hand side of the defense. 
Um, I mean, the the only times we've saw we've we've seen uh, the back four was uh, Woman Moyn Illestad. That was obviously when Karina wasn't yet with the team. Uh, but I think that could be an option considering they have prior experience playing together. But I think, yeah, I, I think I'm with you on on Kodina and Ilishta. Zinsberger or D'Angelo, though? That's the other question. <laughs> yes, that is. I mean, I, I, w- I would guess Zinsberger. I agree, yeah. There's also like an interesting psychological thing there of um, if... You know, like if someone makes a mistake, it, it's often the best thing you can do is just like kind of throw them in again so they can get over it quickly rather than it being like on their mind for two months that, that they made that mistake. But also that, you know, that shouldn't be that big a factor in how you set your team up, like who yeah, made a mistake I, I, last I game. think the most important thing with this and generally with having two very good goalkeepers um, some may say that's not the case, but I, I think they're both pretty good. Um, is explaining why each of them is playing and not playing. Like you're not explaining to D'Angelo you're not playing because you've made a mistake. You're saying you've played because you're very valuable in this in this certain situation. And we're playing Zinsberger because she's valuable in this situation and we're probably going to need her for this more than we need you for this one. And then another game, the dynamics will be flipped again. So just constant communication with them as to why they're playing not why they've been dropped is is definitely important and probably what is happening like you're not judging d'angelo off her mistake you're judging off her off what she's asked to do in the team and if she's doing that well and i I think that's been the case when she's played generally yeah that makes sense um further forwards do you think we will see Leah Velti and Kim Little reunited or uh, what do you think the chances are that maybe Palova features as one of the sixes? I don't see it at the moment. I, th- I think she will come off the bench again because I think Marnham will probably play in the 10. Um, and I think Kim and uh, Kim Little and Leah Velti have the, the pivot spots down at the moment. I, I think once we're more comfortable and able to do rotation, I think Kira Kuni Cross is probably someone who's more uh, preferred in those deep areas. I think Pilova can make a big impact as the 10 as well. Um, but but Kuni Cross is not really in the dynamics as of yet, and I, I don't expect her to, to play against Villa. Maybe as a short impact sub, but not much else. Yeah, that make that makes sense. It would be it would be nice to see to see more of Cooney Cross just because she's a very yeah. exciting uh, exciting signing. I mean, re- really, what I'm what I'm most hoping to see uh, against Villa is just Alessia Russo falling out <laughs> like she did in the second half against United because that was just so that was just so fun to watch. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's not even a question. That's just a statement. <laughs> yeah, and one that I agree with. Uh, I also think having her start and play uh, quite a while also opens up the opportunity to have uh, Black Stinius coming on with her strength and her running power to, to create danger once defenses are a bit more tired. Uh, so that's another opportunity that we didn't have last season where we we basically ran Stina into the ground until she couldn't walk anymore. 
um, which is basically never because she can run all day long, but that's besides the point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so so having her as an impact sub is, is definitely worth uh, with her weight in gold, uh, as well as having Alessia, who's incredible. Yeah, but it's it's interesting. Um, you mentioned impact subs. Obviously, one of the things under Jonas is um, the team work very hard, and like especially the the forward players get through uh, a lot of. I was going to say they get through a lot of running. Uh, I was going to say they get through a lot of meters, but I don't know if anyone says that. Uh, they get through a lot of kilometers, I guess. Um, but but yeah, I mean, what, one of the things that we often see under Jonas is that basically all of the forward players get replaced at some point during the game. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, um, going to use the I word again, last season we had so many injuries that it was kind of just whoever was fit played. But one of the really interesting things this season is the amount of quality options Arsenal have means there's real uh, flexibility to change the approach during games. Obviously you spoke about Steena and she's kind of, She's kind of perfectly, perfectly made to attack tired defenses with her non-stop running. Um, but it will be it will be really interesting to see when we have like a full strength bench um, how well Jonas Eideval is able to kind of use all those options and keep all the players also just like keep all the players happy in terms of game time because there's going to be a lot of a lot of players who are going to want to play very regularly um so that squad management is going to be a very interesting thing to look for this season yeah a few a few different profiles as well like having lena hertig on the bench is a pretty unique uh profile to bring on especially considering she is both pretty good at picking up positions and attacking space as well as just with her height uh, having the option of having a sort of wide aerial target to to aim at in in certain game states is also quite valuable. You touched on earlier, like if Noel Maritz is fit, uh, if she isn't, I mean our, our options at right wing back, as we already saw, are like Chloe Lacasse or or Pulover or the the dreaded inverted McCabe. <laughs> um, <laughs> what are you, what are your what are your thoughts on kind of the trade off of going to a back three and playing one of those players as the wing back uh, versus like sticking with a back four and playing maybe McCabe as a right back where maybe you're not covering for the for the like the Moritz replacement as well but you're sticking with the team dynamics that that work better overall? I think both are imperfect solutions. Um, On what we've seen so far, I think sticking with the back four and creating new right backs is probably the way to go. Um, We we haven't really tried Illestad there, who has played there in in the past. That's an avenue we can go down. And in the United game, we saw... uh, McCabe playing there as well again. Um, it's not the the areas where where you want her to have the ball, and I don't think it's the areas where she's comfortable having the ball deep on the right. I mean, she can do it further ahead if she if she's playing as a right winger. That's but that's an entirely different way of playing uh, on on that side. Um, kind of skeptical as well on her def- 
on her one v one defending on her weak foot, but that that's yeah. something I haven't quite seen yet. Um, but yeah, I I think Illustrated is someone we can try there more if if we lose Maritz. Um, but yeah, sticking with the four is probably my preferred option at the moment. One final thing, which I forgot to mention earlier, was that obviously Arsenal have a bespoke third kit for the women this season, uh, which they wore away to Manchester United. Did you did you like the kit? I wish that was the second kit for the men's side as well. I love that <laughs> kit so much. It's it's really really good look. I really like that kit. That's probably going to be the one that I buy at some point this year. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I've had this discussion with Collings on the main part. Um, the the men's away kit is an abomination of a kit. Um, it's it's horrifying <laughs> to look at, um, and this is it, it. It's beautiful. I love it. Yes. Yeah. No. It is. It's it's a very nice kit, uh, and it's also again like it's just a positive thing that there is a yeah. bespoke women's kit, and it's sold in really good numbers. Uh, and it also looks great. So yeah, that's 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 a nice positive to round out the episode. So yeah, that's that's it from us for this for this episode. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it, listener. We will be doing more of these regularly throughout the season. Uh, if you want to keep up with what we're doing in the meantime, you can find our socials in the show notes. Uh, the music, including the sweet jazzy jingle, is by James Blake who is J.W. Blake on Spotify. Uh, Go well.